Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. On today's show, I have Nadia Awad. But for those of you who don't know who Nadia is for some reason, she's an emergency medicine pharmacist at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Brunswick, New Jersey. After obtaining her bachelor's of arts degree in biological sciences from Rutgers College in 2007, and earning a doctor of pharmacy degree from the Ernest Mario School of Pharmacy at Rutgers University in 2011, she completed two years of postgraduate residency training at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital, specializing in emergency medicine pharmacy. She's board certified in pharmacotherapy. In addition, she's an associate editor and staff blogger at empharmd.com, where she's authored over 70 educational entries related to the application of pharmacotherapy in the emergency department. I really hope you enjoy this episode I had with Nadia. If you like this interview, please make sure to hit the subscribe button and like the video to make sure that you get the most updated information whenever we release a new episode. All right, Nadia, welcome. It's been too long since I've actually been able to see you and talk to you, but uh, I don't think you need an introduction. But for those of you who don't know you, uh, why don't you let everyone know who you are? Sure. So my name is Nadia Awad. I am an emergency medicine pharmacist at Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital in New Jersey. Um, I am here. I'm happy to be on the Pharmacy Near Me podcast. This is great. Um, and a great podcast to do during a pandemic, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's lots of options to do during the pandemic. This is just one of them. Uh, I know like everyone, like obviously the United States is an enormous country, uh, just land wise. And there's so many different experiences. and I know the experience down here in Texas in kind of a somewhat rural area is definitely not what it is elsewhere. And I think just hearing the perspectives and the experience from other people is really kind of making us feel grateful for what we've got here in, in East Texas. Cause it's just, I couldn't imagine practicing the way people are having to live their lives in Chicago, New York, other big cities in the Northeast. So. It's, it's really nice to see you and kind of get to talk to you, especially in this kind of environment. Yeah, no, same here. And then also we can't meet in person at conferences anymore because those are all virtual and yeah, they do their best. He's going on this week, so. Yeah, well, yeah, and it's always funny. A ACCP and ASEP are always at the same time, or the, at least the past few years they seem to be. And I don't know, I think, uh, it's a it's a tough choice that I know a lot of people have to make between one conference or the other, and there's a growing pharmacy presence in in ASAP, which is great. Um, so I don't know we'll see what what happens. Hopefully, they can kind of split the calendar up a little bit more in the future, and then we can enjoy both conferences rather than have to choose. Right. <laughs> so obviously, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is uh, kind of going back in history and uh, and then kind of considering all the things we've done on the blog with foam and how you think it's changed you maybe professionally maybe even in, in other uh, facets of your life well i know i definitely wouldn't be talking to you today if it hadn't been for the blog and for foam med um, we first started eight years ago if you can believe it and i was very skeptical at first when we started um, all throughout pharmacy school i was taught uh, you can't really trust information online. You know, social media is not really the best way to learn anything. Um, bread and butter should be primary literature and textbooks. And when we started, I was still skeptical. Um, 
but I think as time has gone by and as we've sort of developed a presence within both pharmacy and within emergency medicine as a specialty, um, I think it's really been a great experience. I don't know if I would have been offered as many opportunities I've had over the years if it hadn't been for being involved in social media through the blog and through Twitter. Um, and I don't know if I would have been professionally and personally engaged as a pharmacist in really holding myself accountable in the things that I apply within my practice if it wasn't for um, social media to push me to learn more. And when I say that, I mean, you know, articles are shared left and right on Twitter every day. It's really hard to keep up. Um, but at the same time, you know, the cream of the crop will rise to the top, right? So the articles that are most relevant to practice will come about and people will ask you questions and will ask you your opinion as to how you think that topic should be applied within practice. And it's been amazing how I think I've been engaged as a result. And I don't know if I would have been if I hadn't been involved. It's a very long-winded answer, but uh, just some of the things that <laughs> I've been thinking to long-wind. <laughs> I'm, I'm typically known for that so <laughs> apologies to the listeners and viewers ahead of time no I think it's great I mean ha everyone seems to have a, a somewhat different path to foam but there's a lot of similarities I know between ourselves and some other uh, pharmacists that are actively involved in it I, again just speaking for myself I guess I don't want to speak for anyone else but one of the things that was became quickly apparent after leaving pharmacy school starting residency and then getting into the emergency department is seeing the different interpretation of the same paper from different specialties and having widely different conclusions because in pharmacy school as you know and many people listening know uh, you're you're taught at about opinions about medical literature as fact and then those opinions and facts get challenged in very credible ways and that reconciliation in your mind can be very, I think, honestly damaging to a lot of young pharmacists because it can make you question a lot of your education that doesn't necessarily mean, need questioning, but also doesn't question a huge component of it that certainly needs to be questioned. Um, just it, it, those wide different perspectives, I think, has been what uh, I've seen change in myself and then also trying to at least express the, 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 the need for other young pharmacy trainees like yourself years ago uh, in, in challenging those opinions. Um, and then obviously like one of the things that I think connected us to and allowed ourselves to kind of get into that realm a little bit easier was that we had somewhat different pathways or atypical pathways to pharmacy, like myself kind of indirectly getting into pharmacy and then you, I don't know how many people know how many times you tried to get into pharmacy school and they said no, which is absolutely insane to me. Uh, and I, I, I don't know, you don't have to tell the story now, but I if anyone wants it. to talk to you about it, like it's an amazing story. I can share it. Um, so I knew I wanted to do pharmacy school, I think when I was like 11 or 12. We had a pharmacist who was a family friend in our community who practiced as an oncology pharmacist who was very encouraging um, of the fact that this is a good profession for women. Um, you'd be able to balance career and family life. 
And around the time, it was in the late 90s, so the U.S. was actually experiencing a shortage of pharmacists, and that's what really triggered a lot of pharmacy schools to open and continue to open almost 20 years later <laughs> across the U.S. Um, and so I also have an older sister who had applied and gotten into pharmacy school at Rutgers, and I figured, you know what, why not? I did want to do journalism, and I think the blog has been a really good way to help me continue to read and write actively, because um, it's always sort of been something that, you know, as a kid, I, I really enjoyed and I thought would be a good career path, but my parents said there's no money in that. <laughs> so um, I made sure to keep my grades up. I started freshman year of high school. I went to my guidance counselor and told her I want to finish high school in three years instead of four. She looked at me like I had three heads. I was like, you're crazy. Um, but um, I figured since the only program that I could potentially see myself in was Rutgers, since it was a state school, um, I could potentially save a year by finishing high school in three years instead of four. Um, so I set out and I, I did it. Um, I took classes over the summer um, and throughout the spring semester of my junior year of high school. Um, I applied really late though to Rutgers. I applied in November and by that time, you know, they were all full. Um, so I got into Rutgers College um, and every year at Rutgers up until senior year, I applied every year to pharmacy school. So if you include high school, that was five times <laughs> that I applied and they didn't take me. Um, I had two interviews. One was at the end of my junior year and they said no. And then I had another interview my last year of senior year. And it was funny because I wasn't even going to apply. And my parents asked me, so you're going to apply again this year? Ha ha. And I was like, well, they should reach out to me. They have my application on file. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I applied. And, you know, I throughout school, you know, I made sure to keep my grades up. I tried to take the same exact pre-farm classes in order to get in. But they still, you know, had said no at that point. Um, I graduated in May of 2007 from Rutgers College. I declared my degree in biology and my minor in sociology. And um, I had an interview like a few weeks later. And I interviewed with the same assistant dean. He asked me the same questions as the previous year. And he was like, well, do you have any questions for me? And I remember I went and I like raised my hand and I slammed it down on the table. And I was like, listen, this is my fifth time applying. If you don't take me, I'm going to keep bugging you and I'm going to keep applying. Um, I'll be an asset to the school. I'll make sure my grades are up. And then I still had to wait like almost a month until I found out that uh, I got accepted. So luckily I didn't have to take much of a gap. It was just the summer between senior year and PU one year of pharmacy school, but I ended up spending eight years at Rutgers unintentionally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, th that story, I love hearing it every time because anyone that's worked with you or known you for a long period of time, like it, it makes perfect sense. It sucks that <laughs> you had to go through it, but it's made you such a better person and pharmacist because of it. I don't know, like it's, it's one of those things that I wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> But at the same time, it's, I don't, I don't know, I think it's really, like, obviously it didn't make you, you were the, the same person and you had the same tenacity to stick through it and fight for what you believed in. And that's so much kind of embodies everything that you're about, which I don't know, but that, that story is just amazing. I don't think, 
I, I've never heard anyone work so hard to get into pharmacy school and then for no reason like it's not like you had bad grades in undergrad too. You had excellent grades excellent recommendations like number five in my class of pharmacy school out of over 200 i just you know i don't know i guess it made me appreciate pharmacy so much more um than if i had gotten in straight from high school for sure just because of how much of a struggle it was and um you know, I was dedicated to making sure that I learned as well as I could. And yeah. I think that's even stuck with me through now and, and how I practice as a pharmacist, how I practice in the field of emergency medicine, and just making sure that we dot our I's and cross our T's with patient care. So I know a lot of that is new to a lot of people, uh, which is, I mean, it, do you really need to know that about Nadia? No, obviously, but I think it, it just colors in so much about kind of who you are and where you come from. I, I think it's so, such a great, great story that I, I don't know. I think a lot of other people out there might even share some, some similar experiences. So I really appreciate you sharing it. The other thing too, that kind of coming back to foam a little bit is when, you know, after you graduated pharmacy school, you, you finished residency and you started working um, and we continued developing the blog, there seemed to be a different blog, a different podcast, something new out almost every day with, with foam. And over the years, it kind of tailed off, the low hanging fruit was already picked. I don't know what happened otherwise, but it seems like the steam has kind of come out of the big machine and the, the gap between new articles and new posts is, is bigger and bigger uh, and we have to wait longer and longer between between opinions. So what do you think has been driving that uh, over the years? And obviously the, in the past couple of years, it might be a little bit more obvious, but like what, in, what, in your opinion, what, what's been going on? I, mean, I think when we first started, it was a new thing, right? So it wasn't a thing before to follow somebody on social media for professional purposes. It wasn't a thing to learn about um, different areas and different disease states and topics and controversies in this way. So I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that this was a novel practice. Um, you know, when we started Twitter, you know, I, I figured that it would maybe be a good idea to share a blog post on Twitter to help get the word out. Um, later on, you know, I attended a conference and I figured, oh, maybe I should start tweeting pearls that I learned from the conference through Twitter and that might be a good way to help engage folks in different things that I'm learning about that could be helpful in their practice. Um, so I think when we first started, it was sort of this new way of engaging that I think drew a lot of attention, a lot of people in. Um, over the years, you know, it's still a good way to learn and, and to engage. But I think with the sheer amount of sites and podcasts that are available, it's just so hard to keep up and keep track. Um, you know, a lot of the times it's been good in, like I said earlier, in, in learning about new information that's recently published. And one particular topic that comes to mind for me was when the um, targeted temperature management article came out um, that was released at the AHA conference. I mean, overnight, there were probably over 20 blog posts or podcasts that 
were published um, following the publication of that article. And so that was really groundbreaking. Um, a lot of people have opinions, you know, it's, it's just so hard now, though, to keep up to date, I think, with so many different blogs and podcasts, because there are so many out there. Um, and I don't want to say people are reinventing the wheel with it. I mean, it's nice that folks are actively engaged. It's just how much more can I learn from listening or reading the viewpoints from 10 different people? Um, and I think also, you know, just learning to be efficient with your time. I think that's one of the things that being engaged in social media has taught me with just being smart with who you follow and how you follow them and how much time you're spending um, reviewing the information that they share. You know, and obviously like personal circumstances uh, have also, I think, influenced the trickling down effect, so to speak. Uh, myself included, you know, I got married and I, I have a two, almost a near two-year-old at home. So, you know, priorities change with what um, you can focus on and how much energy and time you have to focus on things. So those are some of the factors that I think have influenced that. I mean, life definitely does change. And it, I, I don't think I ever, I don't know why I expected, I guess, phone to stay the same because obviously it wouldn't, it couldn't has to change just like with everything else um some of the major players like you had, had mentioned like the older blogs that have been established like mcrit um sgem are still two that i follow uh whenever there's something new posted um but, but again there are a lot of others that have um it's and it's not that they're bad it's just a similar opinion with a similar style and a similar thing and one of the uniqueness factors when foam came out was everything was so unique and different and presented in a different way that communicated to me a lot easier, especially when the only other alternative was either attending a conference that was really expensive and far away, or reading a paper where you only got the author's opinion and maybe you could bounce a few ideas off of the people you work with. But uh, yeah, like kind of getting those different opinions has obviously been good, but over the years, I think I share a, a, a similar opinion in that it, it got very big. Uh, not, not that that's a bad thing, but it became hard to really keep up on, okay, who's, who's got relevant opinions, who's got challenging some good ideas, who's bringing something different to the table, and not even necessarily presenting it in a different way, but making it consumable in, in, in an efficient manner. I think some of those things have, have kind of evolved, at least my experience with it as well. Uh, but it's interesting to hear your opinion, because even still, working in the emergency department I work in, it's more of a community setting. It's not academic. Uh, we don't have residents other than pharmacy residents, but the attending physician nurses, um, even that they're relatively new, they rarely ever kind of discuss evidence at the bedside or kind of afterwards. And they don't uh, listen to a wide variety of podcasts. I think one of the ones that I hear often is, um, oh, what's the name of it? Uh, EM cases, maybe. It's one of the, uh, oh, I'll have to look up the name of it. I can't remember off the top of my head, unfortunately, right now, but it's, it, it, it's one that's, uh, they can get CME from it. Um, so they can get credit additionally for listening to it. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that's held general phone back uh, is you can learn a lot from it, but to get a lot of buy-in, you're going to need CE. You're going to need something additional uh, to, uh, to bring to the table, but 
um, who knows? And it wouldn't be considered phoned. You know, you lose the F. Yeah, know? you lose the free, which is interesting. <laughs> um, and I know, like, it, the free is kind of, uh, has been a barrier, at least to me in my mind. It's like, well, what does free mean? If it, it, One of the other concepts I've thought about, too, it's like, well, you get what you pay for at times, right? So if mm -hmm. it's free, you might not be getting the best content that's been really poured over and I don't want to say expertly review because there's lots of experts doing things for free, but it's not to say it's not without bias and it's not to say it's the, of the highest quality. Um, right. And even you could pay for something and still have the same problems, but there's somewhat of like, I, I guess an agreed upon issue or uh, contract that I'm paying you. So I hope it's good. And obviously I get CE on, in return. Right. I don't know if that's the purpose with foam. I don't think it ever was, but um, it's just kind of a different, different thought. Yeah, so, I mean, I personally still resort to the same few sites that you share with me, like day one of residency. I still have that email, you know, it's MCRIT, SGEM, Alium, the Poison Review, though Leon doesn't write as much as he used to, um, maybe for similar reasons, maybe for different reasons, who knows. Um, but those are like the top that I still, you know, follow on Twitter and I still subscribe to emails for. Um, so I've in the especially over the past year or two uh, have taken extended breaks from social media for various reasons, both kind of mental and personal and also somewhat professional as well. Uh, have you ever taken any type of break consciously from social media? I think most of the breaks I've experienced have been unintentional, <laughs> unintentionally done. Um, like I said, you know, my family circumstances have gratefully improved over the years. So I just don't have as much time now. I'm lucky if I'm able to scroll through and, and like certain things that from the folks that I follow. Um, there have been times where I actually have deactivated uh, my Twitter accounts um, just to focus on other things that I needed to focus on. Um, and it's actually been a relief. Um, it's funny, when we first started the blog, I, a few months prior to that, I actually deactivated my Facebook account. Um, I was just getting, not depressed, but I think down when I saw my friends engaging in things that I couldn't do because I was still in residency. Uh, so I had deactivated my account and I still have it deactivated. I haven't gone back and I'm just so glad I haven't because I don't know where I would find the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say for the most part, yes, in unintentional breaks, but breaks nonetheless. Um, do I feel better about it? Sometimes, you know, there are some times where I sort of miss just actively seeing what other folks have to say, but it honestly just becomes such a time suck where you don't have the headspace for it. Um, I do have to say over the past few months, I think one of the good things that have come out, maybe as a result of the pandemic, since we're, I think, focused on pressing things that are happening throughout the world, is the fact that pharmacy organizations have become so woke. <laughs> um, and I say this because things that have come out recently related to um, 
sexual harassment and pharmacy and you know the lack of representation from a racially diverse point of view within you know various leadership roles and organizations across the profession and also the whole thing that came out from the joint statement related to who the term residency should apply to um, that has actually been such a great thing and i hope that pharmacy organizations and other folks you know within other organizations continue to keep that up it's long overdue and i just hope that you know they've come out with a lot of statements related to how yes we need to improve upon the fact that we need to make sure that we have diverse people across leadership positions and committees and, and specialty councils within these organizations. And we have to make sure that we're ensuring safe working environments for students, residents, um, and practitioners within the field of pharmacy. And I just hope they really put actions behind those words. It's like I said, long overdue. Going through my own career, um, you know, the elephant in the room, I look different than most people. And when I started on Twitter, I really wanted to make sure I had a profile picture posted. I didn't want to hide behind an egg on Twitter, which was, you know, the old profile standard at that time, because I wanted to make sure that people knew what I looked like and that, you know, potentially engaging in this way could dispel some of the myths and misconceptions related to people who look like me. And to this day, you know, I just wish the pharmacy organizations did this sooner because I'm almost, you know, eight, nine years in to my career and I still don't see anybody who really looks like me on leadership roles in these organizations. And it's a shame. It's an absolute shame. Um, so yes it's nice to be engaged but i think if we're engaged for the right reasons and with good intentions i think that could really help encapsulate some of the downsides related to um what we're going through especially during a pandemic i didn't yeah. mean to get on a soapbox about that but i no, just you know, I, wanted I, to make sure fine. that i expressed it so no i know and I, the i mean i've never experienced anything like that like being white and male doesn't it's I mean it's not the hardest thing to do in America uh I was an immigrant I am an immigrant too and it, it didn't even really impact me and I've never I've been trying to understand and it's not like I didn't see what some of the things you had to go through as well um and it definitely helped change me as well um but yeah I think those are going to be welcome changes in the profession um seeing some different leadership uh, in the, within the organizations, within the profession, not just from that level, but clinically as well, in different hospital settings and giving different opinions. Because again, one of the things that kind of tying back to the top of the episode, where we talked about different ideas with foam and kind of coming up to a lot of resistance, uh, both in our uh, employer at the time, and then uh, just in general, where it was, it, it wasn't that they were morally against it. It was a combination of they just didn't get it right. and they couldn't relate and it just didn't matter to them because the old ways were the ways that needed to continue. 
Um, and I think that's obviously the mindset that needs to change is that, <laughs> and we hear it all the time, but it's, it's one of those contradictions where it's like, just because it's always done that way doesn't mean we need to continue doing it that way. And obviously uh, making sure there's equal representation and appropriate representation on different levels of pharmacy, of course, that, that needs to be something that is, is included where uh, we're making sure those voices are heard, those opinions are heard, because that's what's going to advance everything. Um, and I think everyone wants to see that, no matter what your underlying beliefs are. I, I guess I'm trying to read people's minds. I probably shouldn't do that. But um, yeah, I can't imagine what it's been like for you. I know you've shared some things uh, privately with me that you've gone through as well. And it's I, I couldn't even imagine it. So like some of the uh, the, the amount of strength that you've had in others too, it, it's just, it's shocking. Uh, and I, I mean, honestly, I don't even know if I could have put up with half the things that you put up with uh, and then still be working towards something good for everyone. So it's been really a pleasure and an honor to kind of know you and work with you over the years. So it's really been fun. And I do appreciate you taking some time this morning before work and then away from your family to, to talk to me on the internet, which is a little silly. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Craig. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So a few last questions. I try to get everyone's opinions. And I think I know some of the answers already. So uh, okay. I know you drink coffee because we used to do yes. that every day at two o'clock. <laughs> yes. Very much coffee. so. And then, uh, uh, so is there a book that you've been reading recently that, that you've enjoyed? It's going to be funny if I admit it, but I just will because who cares. Uh, so... I've been reading a book called uh, The Office, Untold Story of the Greatest Sitcom of the 2000s. I love that show. Um, two of the actresses on that show, um, Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey, came out with a podcast called The Office Ladies, so I've been supplementing both. Um, it's actually really good. It talks about the backstory of The Office and how, you know, it was really great in, in the British version but they were so scared when it came to the US, people thought they were gonna ruin it and it ended up being like the greatest sitcom of all of the 2000s. So uh, it's been a really enjoyable read. Well, that's awesome. That's so cool. But anyway, I really appreciate you taking some time this morning um, and hopefully we can get you back on and, and have some more discussions later on. So thanks again. Thank you.